Mark chapter 1, we're continuing in the Missio Christi series. The title of this message is Touch. Mark chapter 1, we're just going to read just a couple verses here. We'll start reading in verse 40. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, begging him and falling on his knees before him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left the man and he was cleansed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the power and the beauty that is in this story. We thank you that the Bible and theology in a certain way teaches us to see ourselves in this story. that by way of analogy, each one of us was a leper, removed and rejected and separated and in shame, but you came and touched us and cleansed us and renewed us and restored us and brought us near. That you, by your cross and your blood and your resurrection, have made beautiful what was horrible in our lives. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask that the wonder of that wouldn't be lost on us. And wouldn't be lost on us in the way that we worship, that we would truly be worshipers as the church. And it wouldn't be lost on us in the way that we do mission, that we'd be missional, that we'd be on mission and in motion, on fire for your glory. That we would want to extend this touch of love to the world around us in your name and for your glory. And so teach us to do that, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us in a profound and radical way. We ask that you would call us this morning, some of us to the nations, to the least and the last on the other side of the globe, some of us just right across the street to those who are in need. But we ask that you would call us and that you would shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace that we would be ready in season and out of season to proclaim your wonder and your beauty, your gospel, your saving grace, and that every corner, at every corner, we would demonstrate how good you are to a world that is desperate to see it. So work these things in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I recently, a couple months back, had swine flu. You guys know that. And I got swine flu at an inconvenient time when my daughter was, and she still is, going through chemotherapy, battling cancer. And when you're going through chemotherapy, your immune system is compromised. What chemotherapy does is kill rapidly producing cells in the body, such as hair cells. That's why people's hair falls out when they're going through chemotherapy. Uh, white blood cells, which are what 
creates and sustains your immune system, red blood cells. And so your immune system is down when you're going through chemotherapy. My daughter's going through chemotherapy, still kind of recovering from the surgery, and I come down with swine flu. And that was a real serious situation in our home. It would have been real serious if my daughter gotten swine flu. So immediately at the command of the great physician, my wife, I was quarantined to the back of the house for a couple weeks. And I mean really quarantined. I was put at the end of the hall in the back room and the door was shut and that was it. Every once in a while, a, a, a crumb of bread was slid under the door. <laughs> I had to go outside in the backyard and drink from the hose if I wanted to wash it down. <laughs> and it was just a couple of weeks and it wasn't that big of a deal, but a few days into it, I really found myself longing to hold my family. We're a real touchy-feely family. All of us were always kissing each other, always hugging each other, sitting on each other, laying on each other, all of us all the time. And a few days into it, I was just going crazy not being able to hold my babies, my little Daisy Love, my Isaiah, my wife. I was just longing for that touch. And a couple weeks into it, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I was so thankful to God that I got better and was able to come out and was cleared and able to hold my babies once again. And it taught me, like I had never been taught in my life before, that touch is a real human need. And touch is a legitimate human need. It's something that's designed into us by God that we all need touch. A pastor who I admire shared a story about a man who he was counseling who wasn't a Christian and he was an incredibly broken and lonely man and he didn't have any family that cared. He didn't have a church body. He didn't have any real friends to speak of. And in describing his loneliness to this pastor, the man said that once a week he would go and pay for a haircut just so that somebody would touch him. He was desperate for that thing they were all designed to experience, which is human touch. And stories like this begin to show us that we really can't go without it. And when we go without it, things go wrong. And like so many other things that God has designed to be legitimate needs, they are powerful. Touch is powerful. When when expressed correctly, touch is very powerful for good in humanity. And when used incorrectly, touch is very powerful for evil in humanity. But it's something that's designed by God and it's a legitimate need. And the leper in the story was forced to go without touch. We're told in the parallel account of Luke that the man was full of leprosy, meaning that his case was advanced and developed, that he had had leprosy for a long time. So for a long time, this man had been deprived of that basic human need, which is touch. And for the leper, there were two ways that they were deprived of touch. The first was a physical manifestation. Leprosy acts as an anesthetic. It, that is, it has a numbing effect. 
what happens is that your limbs and various parts of your body become numb. And this is one of the ways that lepers become disfigured. Lepers have been disfigured because they were washing their faces with scalding water and they, they couldn't feel it. Lepers have been disfigured in third world countries because they reached into a hotbed of coals to pull out a potato that fell into the fire or from working and gripping a tool so tightly that it cut through to their bones and severed nerves. And so there was this inability to actually feel touch for the leper. They became numb in their body. And so even if they reached out to touch somebody. There was no satisfaction. There was no sensation. But there was not only the physical sense of numbness, but there was the social sense, the relational sense of isolation. And as physically horrible as the disease was and is, the social realities of the disease, the social implications were infinitely worse. And in this context of first century Judaism of the Gospels, it was a bad situation to be a leper. Leviticus chapter 13 describes how Israel was supposed to deal with lepers and God had given them laws how to deal with lepers to protect the general health of the community. God was giving them some health guidelines, but they were difficult. Leviticus 13 verses 45 and 46 says, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, meaning the leper had to identify himself to the rest of Israel by purposefully looking bad. And the hair of his head shall be uncovered, meaning disheveled. He couldn't keep himself, you know, combed and and looking good. He was commanded to look bad as if his already physical deformities weren't enough. And he shall cover his mustache, meaning his mouth, and shall cry, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean all the days during his infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. And his dwelling shall be outside the camp. These words are heartbreaking in their implications. He is unclean. He shall live alone. He must stay outside the camp. He can't put on nice clothes. He can't comb his hair. And anytime he's around people, he's got to remind those people of how ugly and how afflicted he is by yelling out, unclean, unclean. It's hard for us to imagine the humiliation that belonged to the leper in this context. I don't know if any of us have ever experienced the isolation that was common for the leper in this context. In Leviticus 13, we're told that if somebody had something on their body that looked like it might be the beginning of the leprosy, they were to go to the priest and the priest would look at it and if the priests identified that it was in fact leprosy, they would immediately be quarantined. They would be removed from their community, from their friends, from their family. They'd be exiled outside of the camp to live alone. I can imagine a father who suddenly came down with leprosy and he had a wife whom he loved, who he'd been married to for a couple decades and two young children 
growing, just springing up like little weeds. And in a moment's notice, he's removed from them and he will never touch them again. I can imagine this man standing on the hill overlooking his home, seeing his kids playing with other children running through the streets, seeing his wife going to the well in the morning and in the evening, being totally and utterly deprived of human proximity and human touch, which is necessary for human well-being. And if he did have an opportunity to come anywhere near the people in the community, he had to cover his mouth and yell out, unclean, unclean. And at the sound of a leper's voice, and the leper's voice was distinct because the disease would affect the inside of the throat and the vocal cords. And their voice would become to sound growly like that of some sort of monster. And as they yelled out with that voice, unclean, unclean, women and children and men would run from them in horror running from them. I don't know if we can imagine the sense of worthlessness and despair that the leper in this context dealt with every day. He was far worse off than the woman at the well. He had this stigma. The Bible said about him, he is unclean. A stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance or person. He lived with a mark of disgrace. And he felt it every day and it was inescapable. And we immediately, reading this context, have to also read our context. You see, the responsibility of the Christian is to read the Bible and to read the world to be students of the word of God and to be students of the world of God. To see in this context who had the stigma, who was declared unclean and to try to discover in our context who has the stigma, who has a mark of disgrace upon them, who's been declared unclean in our society. And it's different, I think, for Christians and for non-Christians as we think about this. I think that there are certain people that Christians would declare unclean, that non-Christians want it. And I think it, in a certain way, in America, Christians have been declared unclean by the non-believing world. We have a stigma, a mark of disgrace. And when we start to think about it, we see this web of connectivity and broken connectivity between us. This continually putting on each other of stigmas, marks of disgrace that causes us to be a broken, separated, segregated society. And we begin to develop deep issues of identity. He was called unclean. He had to identify himself as unclean. When I was a kid, my mom told my, 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 my mom, excuse me, told me that if you said something to someone often enough, they would begin to believe it. She told me this so that I wouldn't call my little sister names. 
because I called her horrible names when we were kids. Ugly, troll, all the things you call your little sister. So my mom would tell me, if you tell her that long enough, she'll believe it. I didn't believe it then. Now, being a little bit more mature, I see that that's true. That we can put stigmas on people in our own minds and start to believe things about them. And they start to believe things about themselves. And this man came to a place where he said, I'm just a leper. I'm a monster. I'm not worth anything. I'm not wanted by anyone. I can't feel anything. Nobody wants to feel me. And of course, people only made the situation worse. The rabbis, the religious leaders made it infinitely worse. They said that if a leper so much as stuck his house, his head, excuse me, inside a house, that the house was now unclean. The whole house was ruined. The rabbis made it illegal to even greet a leper. You're not even allowed now as an observant Jew to say hello to this poor person. Rabbinical law said that if a leper was upwind from anybody, he had to remain 150 feet away, as close as they could ever get. One ancient rabbi said, when I see lepers, I throw stones at them, lest they come near me. That's why in Luke chapter 17, when we have the 10 lepers, it says about them that they stood at a distance because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. They didn't know if he would throw stones at them. They stood at a distance away from him because the culturally appropriate response was 150 feet away if you were upwind. Another Jewish rabbi said, I would not so much as eat an egg that was purchased from a street where a leper had walked. And the Jewish historian Josephus summarizes the situation by saying the lepers were treated as if they were dead men. There's the stigma. Unclean, unclean, as good as dead. When Aaron interceded for Miriam, whom the Lord struck with leprosy, he described a leper as being like a stillborn baby from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. The sad thing about the leper is that they were marginalized because of something that was beyond his or her control. You see, it was worse than the woman at the well. The woman at the well had some degree of culpability for her five divorces and her sexual immorality. It takes two to tango. She's been divorced five times. She had some degree of culpability, responsibility for her situation for her being rejected from the crowd, marginalized. But the leper was different. They were marginalized, totally rejected because of something beyond their control. The leper was truly a victim. But what's worse is that that culture didn't view them as a victim. That culture believed ignorantly that they were lepers because they were cursed of God, because they deserved it. In some way, they had so failed that God cursed them and so they deserve their marginalization. In every sense, they were a casualty of the results of sin and sin within humanity. The Old Testament laws that were given 
to Israel to protect them from infectious disease were good, but the implications and what people did with them were horrible. And what it meant for the leper is that socially, economically, physically, emotionally, and religiously, they were ruined. Totally isolated, totally humiliated. Judaism believed that only God could heal leprosy. And that it was in the realm of miracles, second only to someone being raised from the dead. And even the New Testament authors viewed lepers being healed different from other diseases being healed because of the social stigma. In Matthew chapter 8, the disciples are told to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. They had their own little category of redemption. It wasn't just the healing of sickness, it was a cleansing of leprosy. And the reason that they needed to be cleansed is because of that social stigma, that idea that they were dirty, that they were outcasts, that they were unwelcomed. And so it went beyond mere healing to cleansing. The Bible speaks of us this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where it talks about how we were horrible sinners and then it says, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified of our restoring to relationship that we were previously dirty as the leper. And so that when the leper was cleansed, they were finally restored back into society. And that was part of the coming of the kingdom, that lepers were cleansed. Part of the way that people deal with suffering is through company, right? We know that saying, misery loves company. The Bible recognizes this and makes us part of the calling of the church. In Romans chapter 12, we're told to weep with those who weep. That's one of the ways that we are told to cope with misery is through company. Yet what the condition of the leper affected most was the relationships. So it wasn't just that they suffered, it was that they suffered alone. And again, this man was full of leprosy according to Luke 5.12. So he had suffered alone for a long time. I've talked about the social implications of leprosy and not much about the physical implications. I'm going to leave that to the internet. It's readily accessible. This week in studying, I went to Google Images and searched leprosy. I'm going to leave that to you to put a physical picture on the horror of leprosy. I'm going to suffice it to say for now that this man was a desperate man. And nothing displays his desperation more than his boldness to come to Jesus. He was breaking everything that was socially, culturally, religiously, and medically okay. The parallel account in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8 verse 1 tells us that there was a multitude of people following Jesus at this time. So when this man came to Jesus, he had to push through a crowd. 
He didn't do the usual unclean, unclean. He didn't maintain the upwind distance of 150 feet. In his desperation, he pushed through the crowd and he came to a Jewish rabbi and he kneeled at his feet and was begging him. And the grammar seems to implicate that he grabbed hold of Jesus. Everything that this man did was culturally, medically, religiously unacceptable. But he was driven somehow by a belief that Jesus could cleanse him. He said to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper was absolutely sure that Jesus had power. He just wasn't sure that Jesus was willing. Because of the stigma, because of the rejection. Because prevalent religious culture told them that your condition is because God has cursed you. He knew somehow that Jesus represented the power of God, but this man was unsure of the heart of God. Do you know how many people there are in our families who feel the same way? They're convinced that Jesus cleanses They're sure that Jesus forgives, but they are unsure as to whether or not Jesus would cleanse and forgive them. They see themselves as too far gone, as untouchable, as beyond the redemption of God. And so how God responds here is with compassion. It says in verse 41 that Jesus was moved with compassion. Over and over again in the gospel accounts, we see Jesus as being moved with compassion toward all sorts of situations, toward leaderless crowds who were like sheep without a shepherd, toward those who were hungry, toward those who were bereaved, toward the blind, and especially it seems toward the sick. Jesus is moved with compassion. And that phrase, moved with compassion, it goes beyond just pity. He didn't pity the man. It goes beyond sympathy. It wasn't just sympathetic. It even goes beyond empathy. The phrase in the original Greek means literally that Jesus was moved in his inner being. It means that he felt it in his guts, that this was gut-wrenching compassion for God. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Some of us can understand what it's like to have that, that gut-wrenching compassion. Ours would pale in comparison to that of Christ, but we can begin to understand it when those most near to us suffer the worse. When Daisy was in the hospital and had her operation, Her pain level was so incredible. At one point, she had an epidural to deal with the pain, and she was on morphine and another painkiller, and she was still in excruciating pain. Nothing they could do could alleviate her pain, and because she was laying there, she was starting to get bed sores, and so we had to move her 
And it was an unbearable thought that we would even touch her body and move her and she would scream for us to not touch her. We would have to lift her up and she would just scream, this scream of horror. And it does something in the guts of a dad. In the most real way, you suffer with that person. You really suffer with that person. Jesus was moved in his inner being. He really felt the pain of this man. He was suffering with this man. Our God is a God who suffers with us. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in, in spirit. Psalm 147, 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up those wounds in a way that we can't imagine. God feels our pain and suffers with us and that helps us to somehow cope with the suffering that we see in the world. But Jesus doesn't just suffer with us. Jesus suffered for us. On the cross, died a substitutionary death. He literally felt our pain. He actually took on the weight of our brokenness, our sinfulness, and all its implications. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus actually suffered for us and felt the real weight of the horror of sin. And because this was so real to Christ, though he could have healed the leper with a word, he healed others who were sick without even being in the same house they were in. Because he felt this man's pain, and his pain was so deep. It says in verse 41 that Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. How long had it been since this man had been touched? And we see that Jesus becomes the one who touches the untouchable. And in that culture, that moment was unthinkable. The crowd was shocked in horror. The disciples were blown away when they found Jesus speaking with a woman at the well in John 4. But that paled in comparison to a Jewish rabbi now making himself unclean by touching one who was unclean and endangering himself in the community by coming in contact with the disease. 
Jesus totally disregarded the Old Testament rule. It's not that Jesus had a low view of the law. Jesus elevated the law in the Sermon on the Mount. He had a higher view of the law than any human has ever had. It's that Jesus had his priorities right. He knows that the law wasn't given to perpetuate stigma and suffering. So having his priorities right, he touches the man in order to heal him. And then he tells the man to obey the law later on in verse 44 to go and show himself to the priest and offer the sacrifice. It's not that Jesus disregarded religious rules put in place. It's that he had his priorities right. And he wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't hide behind religious rhetoric. But he suffered with those who suffer. And the question for those who are called after his name is are we willing to suffer with those who are suffering? To do mission like Christ did mission is to put our hand on the rotting flesh of humanity. Wherever we find it, wherever it finds us. The healing of the leper was evidence that the kingdom had come. Mark 11, Luke 7, make it evident that when lepers are cleansed, then the kingdom has come. Jesus was demonstrating what he had also been proclaiming. In verse 39, it says, And Jesus went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching. You see, Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom, but he also demonstrated the power of the kingdom. And we as the church need to have the balance of radical proclamation and radical demonstration. And we often have the conservatives on this side proclaiming but failing in demonstrating and the liberals on this side demonstrating but failing in the proclamation. Jesus proclaimed the coming of the kingdom and he demonstrated the coming of the kingdom. I had an opportunity this week to sit down to lunch with John Piper and we were discussing the implications of the gospel and social justice and the ministry of mercy and how the church needs to be on the cutting edge of touching the lepers whoever they are in our society, how the church needs to be on the cutting edge of relieving misery however we can, wherever we find it. The church needs to be on the cutting edge of caring for widows and orphans and their distress and the poor and the destitute. But how the church can never do it in lieu of proclaiming the gospel. And the way that John Piper said it to me is this way. Jesus is concerned about eliminating all suffering, especially eternal suffering. When Jesus touched this leper, he was only showing forth a demonstration of the clear proclamation 
that Jesus is the one who makes all things new through his death and resurrection on the cross. And what the kingdom does because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is reverses certain things. You see, in the Bible, it was always true that if you came in contact with something or someone that was unclean, you were made unclean. If you touched something that was unholy, you were made unholy. And the opposite was never true. It wasn't that if you were unclean and you touched the clean, you were made clean now. It didn't work that way until Jesus came. And Jesus reverses the order of things. And though the crowds would have been shocked and and, and in awe of Jesus and worried about him becoming ceremonial, unclean as a rabbi, what happened was that the clean was now making the unclean finally clean. St. Francis of Assisi in the Middle Ages, in his last testament, confessed that there came a time in his life where he finally felt what he called that sweetness of soul. I don't know exactly what he means by that, but it sounds good. That at one point he he felt this sweetness of soul and it happened one day as he was riding on his horse and he encountered right there in the road before him a beggar who was a leper. And for St. Francis of Assisi, this was a horrific sight. And he immediately went to turn his horse away and spur his horse on to gallop away from the leper. And as he began to gallop away from the leper, he suddenly had this overwhelming sense of remorse that having turned away from his brother's need, he was galloping away from God who suffers with every man who suffers. He turned his horse around, dismounted, fell on his knees before the leper and kissed his leprous hand. And his life was never the same. Who are we as the church in America and as individuals? Who are we being confronted with? Who's right in front of us that we're running from just as quick as we can? For whom do we need to come down off of our horses? Kneel before them in humility and kiss their hand. I want to disturb us by reading a passage from Matthew, chapter 25. My intention in reading this passage I think is consistent with the intention of Christ who first spoke this and that is to make us uncomfortable. Jesus in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, speaking of the day of judgment, says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you didn't clothe me sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This connection that Jesus makes between how we deal with the least and the last in the world being a picture of what we're doing with Jesus is radical and it's not just some aberrant thing in the gospels book of Proverbs says one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord that in some way that I don't understand God connects himself to the suffering to the poor to the least of these. And in some way that we need to begin to understand what we do with them is what we're doing with Jesus. And so we need to ask ourselves, who are we turning away from? It's too easy to talk about global problems. We, we need to and we do. We look at the world situation God is concerned about the nations. There are actual lepers. In 2007, there were over a quarter million new cases of leprosy in the world. But the stigma for leprosy is different now. It's not the same thing. There are sufferings and situations around the world that are worse than leprosy. Marginalization and rejection and shipwreck that is just as radical but it's too easy to see those things as websites and news reports and over there. And 
doing something about those things is fashionable in our culture now. I was at a gas station in LA just after the earthquakes in Haiti. And it was a gas station with one of those little TV screens on the pump. And there on the TV screen, it said, send a text to this number to donate $10 to Haiti. And everywhere you look, stars and celebrities and billboards, everyone was given an opportunity to give to one of the worst situations in the world. And it's fashionable now. It's fashionable to give to those things. But it's not yet necessarily fashionable to actually touch the untouchable. And it's easy when it's a world away. And we can placate our conscience and satisfy some degree of missionary zeal within us by doing something about things on the other side of the world, by sending people over there. But we are those who have been sent right here. And in some way, somehow, we need to discover the lepers who are right before us. And that's never going to be fashionable. It's easy to make sweeping statements that the lepers of today are those who have AIDS. I don't know if that's a true statement. You know, that, they probably had that stigma more in the 80s than now. I think we've kind of moved beyond that stigma. I think that our friends without homes in our community have this stigma. I think that they are the untouchables in many ways. And so many of you in this church are doing incredible things with the homeless. We have laundry love where you're washing their clothes for them, spending time with them. We have blanket blessings where you guys are taking blankets and warm clothing to them. We have people in our church leading the ministry in Pershing Park where we have meals with the homeless. We're not feeding them, we're eating with them. We're still trying to identify who around us has this stigma that they've become untouchable. And whenever you touch the untouchable, you're always risking consequences. You know, it was consequential for Jesus, at least in the eyes of culture. And there's always going to be consequences this week. At our staff meeting, we talked about the fact that at our Ventura campus, we've had a lot of really drunk people coming to church. I don't know what's going on in Ventura. You guys are a bunch of borrachos, but um, <laughs> that's Spanish for drunk. But for some reason, we've had a bunch of drunk people coming to church, and there's, there's been some instances, and we talked about as a staff, how, how are we going to deal with this? Are we going to let drunk people in? And we, we very quickly came to the conclusion that yes, That's what Jesus did. And the religious didn't like it. He was with the drunkards, the sinners and the tax collectors, and he touched the lepers. But yes, we're going to let them in. Is there some risk with that? Yeah, there's some risk. There's going to be some consequences. But what we learn from Jesus is that real ministry is always going to be messy. Father Damien went to the island of Molokai and 
ministered to the leper colony there. And I've been to Molokai several times to surf and to do various outreaches. I've stood over the hill looking at the leper colony. Looks to me like there's a good right that breaks off the corner of a little point there. I've wanted to surf many times. I hope someday to get back there. Father Damien went to the least and he ministered to them. He gave everything. After being there for several years, he stood up at one Sunday morning service and he opened his sermon by saying, we lepers are different. He had contracted the disease. He died of the disease. He was willing to touch the untouchable and it cost him everything. Somehow, even though this man was the untouchable, somehow he knew that Jesus wasn't afraid of him and that Jesus wasn't ashamed to associate with him. And when Jesus did these sort of things, touch the untouchable, Jesus changed the world. I mean, that wasn't fashionable then. That, that wasn't normal then. One author says, Jesus reversed the social priorities of his day by demonstrating and teaching a special concern for the poor, the disabled, the outcasts, and the underprivileged. Such people had no claim to attention until Jesus became their champion. One cannot imagine Hippocrates showing much interest in a prostitute in trouble, a blind beggar, the slave of a soldier of the occupying power, a psychotic foreigner clearly with no money, an old woman with a chronic spinal condition. But Jesus did not only do so, but he expected his followers to do the same. When Jesus touched the untouchable, he changed the world. And the world continues to change to the degree that we become those who touch the untouchable, who reach the unreached in proclamation of the gospel of God and in demonstration of the gospel of God. Christians have to be willing to go where Jesus would go to the poor, the marginalized, the places of suffering. And what we're realizing is going might just mean going across the street, next door, downtown, to the park. Jesus had the power to make this man clean. That was never in question. The only question that that man had was whether or not Jesus was willing. And I would say, that because of the spirit of God in us and the gospel of God entrusted to us, that we have power to do good. We have power to do good in the world and to alleviate all kinds of suffering, especially eternal suffering. The only question is whether or not we are willing. It's not a question of power. whether or not we are willing. And so the Bible says, so then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. And again in Hebrews, do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And the presupposition of the New Testament seems to be about you and I Christians that we have the ability, the anointing, and the occasion to do good. The only question is to what degree are we willing to touch the untouchable?
Some of us here this morning, when we hear about the leper, we don't think of someone else, we think of ourselves. You need to know that Jesus loves you and that he's willing to touch you and to make you clean and that there's nothing he can't cleanse. There's nothing he can't heal. Nothing has gone so wrong that he can't make it right. This is our God. Lord, I pray for those in this place that would feel that way, that you would give them the grace this morning to come to you. That even now by your spirit, you would carry them. That you would reveal your great love in this place, your willingness to touch us. We want to come to you like the leper did, which for us in many ways means repenting of our sins, admitting that we're wrong, realizing that you're right. Help us, God, to come to you and to feel your touch and to be made clean immediately like this man was. I think there's a special anointing from the Lord here today to heal. Physically and emotionally, the prayer team is up here on your right and on your left. I think the Lord wants to heal people today. In whatever way you need healing, I don't know that you even need to go to the prayer team. I think you can come and get on your face before the Lord right here. And Jesus is willing to touch you. But he's here and he's willing. So let's push through the crowd and grab hold of him.